Good evening and welcome to the Journey Church. It's my pleasure to have you tonight. We're continuing our study tonight in, in the flesh and the spirit. And we've been studying for the last several weeks the fruit of the flesh. And tonight we begin with the fruit of the spirit. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Galatians chapter 5. In the fifth chapter of Galatians, you have a uh, heading that would begin in verse 16. If it's like my Bible, that says, Walking in the Spirit. And in verse 16, we pick up there, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and sorcery. Um, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those that are in Christ, who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we have looked at this passage now since the 5th of August. And so far we have developed about nine messages just from uh, verse 16. And we talked about the flesh and the spirit, which shall we serve? Then we talked about overcoming conflict, the sin of moral impurity. We went on to discuss idolatry and sorcery. Then we looked at hatred and contentions, followed by jealousy and envy, then outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies. And last week we spoke of the sins of intemperance. Well, I've always said what makes the good news so good is the bad news is so bad. And what the Apostle Paul tells us not once but twice in here, he says, those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then having said that, he moves to the positive. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so having considered the manifold works of the flesh, and as I shared with you last time, you can look at the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21 and notice that is not a a complete list of everything we can do in our flesh. But you could, you could write all of those sins down on a piece of paper and then write all of the fruit of the Spirit down on the other side of the piece of paper. And then whatever decision you're trying to make, you can say, well, considering this issue, where would it fit better? Does it fit better in the fruit of the flesh or in the fruit of the Spirit? And then you can decide that way. Well, we've now, we are now going to consider the fruit of the Spirit. We're moving on to the good news. And have you noticed the word in your text? It says fruit. That is a collective noun that is in the singular. It's in the singular like uh, an orange is a fruit, but watermelon and oranges are fruit. And uh, this is a collective noun while the word works is plural. Notice what it says in verse 20. Verse, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. But go up to verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh. 
So here's something that I would like to share with you by way of introduction. This suggests that the individual works of the flesh are varied and not necessarily related. They're varied and not necessarily related. Drunkenness doesn't mean that you're involved in adultery, okay, as we saw in the text. But the fruit of the Spirit, though possessing various characteristics, we learn through this, this word, this collective noun of fruit, that in reality one made possible by the combination of all of them. So for it to be the fruit of the Spirit, it has to contain all nine components to be basically the fruit basket of the Spirit. And so uh, if you don't understand that, it's probably because I just made a basket case explanation of it. But the reality of it is, is, is whereas the works of the flesh are many and can be singular and can stand apart, the fruit of the Spirit cannot. They are all part and parcel. They go together. And there are nine of them that are mentioned. And over the next several weeks we're going to study each one. Now a person may be guilty of the works of the flesh when only committing one of the works. Okay, So he may be guilty of intemperance. He may be guilty of dissensions. And he's only guilty of one of the works of the flesh. But a person cannot be said to be producing the fruit of the Spirit unless all nine qualities are demonstrated together in his or her life. So you might want to write that down. You are not developing the fruit of the Spirit unless you are, develop, you are producing all nine. Okay? So this is uh, similar to the graces that are listed in 2 Peter. Take your copy of God's Word and go over to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says these words, But also for this reason, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember preaching about a four-week sermon, five-week sermon series on just those uh, words right there. And I recall when we did it, you can't have one without the other. They all build upon each other, similar to the fruit of the Spirit. We're, where the expression, add to your though, as it says in Second Peter, add to yours implies the graces are intricately connected to one another and are necessary for growing in the knowledge of Christ. And so the same can be said of the fruit of the Spirit, not necessarily in order. You just want to make sure they're in your basket if you are producing it. So while a person may possess one or more of these graces listed here in verse 22 through 23, they, they may possess love and joy and peace, but they have goodness, but they may not be very patient. And because they're not really patient, kindness is missing, so to speak. And, uh, and probably if some kindness is missing, there's not going to be a lot of gentleness. And that's all not there because there's a lack of self-control. And so what you have here is that one may possess one or more of these graces, one of these fruits of the Spirit. Um, that alone, though, does not constitute the fruit of the Spirit. So you can say, well, just because that person's kind, they're impatient. Well, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. It, 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 if I have to drive it in any farther, we'll take the rest of our time. It's all or nothing. 
with the fruit of the Spirit. So you might want to circle that and put that in your Bible where it says fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And as we begin this examination of the fruit of the Spirit, it is only natural that the virtue of love should head the list. The virtue of love. Now, in the course of 20 plus years of preaching, I've done my fair share of preaching about this word love. Probably I've spoken more about love than I have peace or the gospel. Um, I could literally probably do it without any kind of memory aids, but I, I'm trying to do this in a manner tonight that we all learn something we may not have known. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, He who, did not, who does not he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 8b. God is love, but I've always quoted John, 1 John 4, 8b, but look at 1 John 4, 8a. It says, He who does not love does not know God. Okay? And so there's something. Go over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, that's to the left of your book of Galatians. This will, uh, you will know this for sure about love. This is the love chapter in verse 13 of chapter 13. The Apostle Paul says, Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If you have a King James Version, it says charity. It speaks of charity. Okay? So God is love. And love is the greatest virtue of all. If you want to write those down, for God is love, God is love, and love is the greatest virtue of all. Okay? Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. But love won't save you. Faith does. I want you to remember that. Uh, love won't save you. Faith does. Uh, but what is love? What place does it have in the life of the Christian? How can we best demonstrate our love towards God and towards man? Um, these are some questions I hope that we'll answer tonight. Maybe you've been wondering, but I want to begin with number one, the definition of love. The definition of love. Now, I've said this many times, that the Greek language is far superior to our English language when it comes to works of literature. English has one word for love. You know, I absolutely love my dogs. I love them. I absolutely love my wife. But you cannot tell me that I love my wife on the same level as I love my dogs, or that I love my dogs on the same level as my wife. It is completely and totally different. But all I am stuck with is love. I love my Chevrolet pickup. I absolutely love it. I love airplanes. I love pound cake, homemade pound cake. Um, I love uh, my children. Um, I love being a pastor. But I love the Lord. Okay? We just have one word for love. And, and so you all, as English speakers, we all know that that we all know what I mean when I say love. When I say I love my dog Oliver, in fact, the dog I miss is my dog Pepper. I, Pepper I buried in, in, in November, and I've got a space in my office where a big old portrait of Pepper is going to go soon. And uh, I love Pepper. 
I still love Pepper. I'm calling my other black dog at home Pepper, who's her daughter. And, uh, but there's no comparison to the love I have for that blonde wife of mine that, that I love so dearly. Anybody would recognize that. They would, now Kelly sometimes wonders, and, uh, but, uh, but I can assure you, uh, uh, just take my word for it. So the English kind of fails us, but fortunately the Greek does not. They had four words. You are all familiar with these. Some of you know these off the top of your head. Eros love is carnal love. E-R-O-S, eros. It's carnal love. It's sexual love. Philia uh, is uh, philia, P-H-I-L-I-A, is the love of close friendship. Um, uh, close friendship. Philia. Uh, uh, some say philia. Philia, the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia. Uh, storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. Uh, in West Texas, we just called it storge, but it's a storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storge love is family relationships. Uh, um, I could camp out there, but I'm not. And uh, storge is the love of family relationships. And then there's agape, A-G-A-P-E. Agape love is a love which seeks only the highest good in others, and oddly enough, that is the only love that is used in the New Testament. Agape love. It is also known as the divine love. It is a love that Paul mentions in our text, and he defines it back over here in 1 Corinthians 13. If you'd like to turn there again, in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, it says... Uh, uh, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there's tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will perish, but it begins. Love will never fail. Okay? Jesus used the same word in the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew chapter 5. Look over there with me. He's using the word agape again in Matthew 5 verse 43. Matthew 5 verse 43, Jesus Christ begins by saying, You have heard that it was said, You shall agape your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, agape your enemies, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of the Father in heaven, for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you agape, if you love those who agape you, that reward, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Therefore you, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so when he says, be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, the qualification there is not sinlessness, it's perfect love. It's perfect love. Be therefore perfect. So we're, if we want to be complete, we want to be complete in Christ. We must love like Christ loved, like the Father in heaven loves. 
So with that being said, that's the, where the Greeks have four words for it. We're talking about the definition of love. Now let's look at a closer look at the word agape. This would be number B, letter B under the definition of love. Agape, and I want you to get this down because this is probably something new for us. Agape has to do with the mind. It has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion. It's not simply an emotion which, which uh, rise unbidden in our hearts that just, just, that just swells up. You know, when I, when I see uh, someone that I love, it, 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 it's, it's not that emotion that just rises up within me. That's not what it's talking about. Agape is of the mind. It is, it, is, it is a principle of the mind by which we deliberately live. It's by which we deliberately live. It's a choice on how we live. Now, I shared a couple weeks ago in a Sunday morning message, I believe two weeks ago, that uh, one of the things we need to remember, and, and I want you to hear me before you cut me off and react in your mind, just because we're saved does not mean that God then just changed our personality and, 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 and who we are. He, he doesn't do that. He changes the way we see the world. He changes the way we see Him. He changes the way we see ourselves. He changes the way we see each other. If, if God could change anything in my life, it would be my personality. I have an extremely driven and strong personality. Um, uh, I went to dinner with friends the other night and uh, I, I, Sunday was a good day, and so I was really inordinately loosey-goosey that night, which is typically not the way I am. I was just loosey-goosey. I was just, I was in my element. My wife was fortunately seated at the other end of the table, or she would have kicked me all night because I was just loosey-goosey, just having a great time. But if God, I, I would even imagine my beautiful bride and my children would say, if anything could be changed, God, please change his personality. But God hasn't done that. He doesn't do that. God changes the way we see each other. We, he changes the way we see him. He changes the way we relate to him. And he takes that which is broken in us and he uses it for his glory. And I don't know how I can use a hard-headed Irishman, but apparently he does and uh, so I think it's okay and 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 you know what that's you know what that's helped me realize as a pastor now I'm gonna share something with you in fact this is being filmed tonight in front of a live studio audience everybody wave your hand like that see we get you on the camera see there's live studio audience um, soon next week when we learn how to do it we're gonna Im impact the uh, laughter like they do on the sitcoms just you just wait and um, um, but I was thinking about something. This October is a Pastor Appreciation Month, and I was thinking about, you know, um, I don't, I don't have to have people express appreciation to me. The mere fact that they listen and tune in is far more than than I deserve. And uh, but it dawned on me the other day, 20 years of pastoral ministry, that we're pastors are an unusual place because we are with people at their highest moments and at their saddest moments. No other people are like that in their life. 
We're there when the baby's born. We're there to dedicate the baby. We're there to baptize that child when it, when it comes of age and, and professes Christ savingly, having been effectually called. Um, we're there to marry that child. Uh, God forbid we have to bury it. Um, we're there to uh, uh, see it grow. I have some congregants that are watching now that, that that is, I've watched their kids grow up and uh, probably will be burying those children. And, uh, um, and the reality of it is, is that we as pastors have this privilege to be with people at the highest moments and the lowest moments, the lightest moments and the darkest moments. And it's always done, why do they kick us though? Why do they treat us sometimes where they don't give us the benefit of the doubt? And then I thought about how I treat family. It's because pastors become part of the family. And who do you show yourself really like to? Your family. And so pastors, have, if I was in a seminary today teaching again, that would be the first thing I'd teach my students. When, when pastoral ministry gets hard, when you start feeling the pressure of it, and when you start feeling that uh, they don't appreciate you, they don't like you, why, are they, why is someone that you've loved all your life all of a sudden just being ugly to you? It's because you're family. And what do we feel with our family? We feel safe. And because in what, what makes our family our family? Because we've been with them in the high moments and the low moments. And that's the thing about a pastor. They get to be part of a family like that. And what makes it hard is they're parts of lots of family. And in my case, I'm just the outlaw, not the in-law. But uh, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. But then, but here's how this came about. This understanding came about from studying the works of the flesh and studying the fruits of the Spirit. Because I could have made a whole lot of different decisions a long time ago if I'd have realized some advice that was being given to me that what was happening wasn't personal. But it was never told to me it's familial. It's just you're part of the family. You're smelling the bad breath. You get to see everybody without their makeup and their starch shirts on. You get to see everyone before they've had their coffee and their moo-moo in their pajamas. And that's, that's, that's how it is. And now I know no one in our church wears a moo-moo. But, uh, and if you don't know what a moo-moo is, just go watch Three's Company and you can see one. Um, the reality is, is that the mindset, the mindset of agape is what is key here. And that's really helped me understand now at 48 years and going on 20 plus years of pastoral ministry. This is a mindset. Agape has supremely, I want you to write this down, has supremely to do with the will. Has is supremely dealing with the will. I have always thought it was dealing with emotion. It's dealing with the will, okay? It is not an uncontrolled reaction of the heart, but a concentrated exercise of the will. It is a caring love, one which becomes involved with the needs of others. It does not depend upon one being loved and having to earn such love. Do you hear that? Agape love is you choose to love and you either choose to love the loving or you choose to love the unloving, but however they respond has nothing to do with your will in loving. That's agape love. That is the new thing. This has to do with the will. And so regardless of the response, 
of how someone treats us, we love it. And I can give you a perfect example that I think probably the majority of people would agree with. They have experienced this kind of love with a person whose name is spelled with three letters. M-O-M. -M. Mom. Most everyone, not everyone, but most everyone knows there is nothing like the love of mom. It doesn't matter how you treat mom. Well, it, it, it does if your home is ruled with, a, with the Board of Education and you have a seat of knowledge. But uh, the reality of it is, is mom's going to love you no matter what. My mother, when I got big enough, she couldn't whoop me anymore, stare me down. She just would do this. She'd say, well, you're just a cute kid. And that just meant uh, you need to straighten up. But mama always loved me. It just didn't matter. It just, uh, it just didn't, it just didn't matter. There was no, and, and I think the majority of folks, and, and I wish it were all people, but the majority of people can say there's never been the love like your own mother to you. And then you moms out there, you think about the love you have for your kids. There's just nothing going to get in the middle of it. It's just, in most cases, it's that love. And it's an attitude more than a feeling. It's an attitude as a mom. Okay? But I want you to know something else about agape in the mind. This is very significant. It is not an exclusive love. You might want to catch that one. It's not an exclusive love in that it's expressed only to a certain few. Agape love is the same word where it says, for God so loved the world. Okay? We know in John chapter 6 that the whole world is not going to be saved. We know in John chapter 17, Jesus says, or we know in John 6, Jesus says, I don't pray for the world, I pray for those whom you have given me. We know in John 17 that Jesus prays to the Father about blessing those whom you have given me, because that's the only name he ever calls his followers those whom the Father has given. So someone would ask is say, well then who does God love? Does God only love those whom He has given? No. God allowed, just as we read in the text, He allows the rain to fall on the good and the bad. That's called His prevenient love, His prevenient grace. It's, it's, it's called His beneficent love. Now this is, this is waxing theological. But the reality of it is God's attitude towards mankind is love. And say, well, then how can God love and send someone to hell? God has never sent anyone to hell. He never has. Hell is the penalty of sin. It's separation from God. What God has done is sent the antidote. It's Jesus Christ. And those who are the whosoever will believe will believe, and those who don't will receive justice. They will not be, and listen, fairness isn't even a concept of Scripture. It has nothing to do with fairness. Every one of us that are in Christ, we deserve hellfire. We deserve to be separated from God. We do not deserve to be in heaven. There is nothing in us or of us that is good enough to warrant perfection. And yet God has loved us as He's left someone else, but Jesus Christ has intervened in our life. So it is an attitude towards the world. It's an attitude towards other people. It is not expressed to a select few. So agape love for those of my Reformed brethren is not singled out just for the elect. Agape love is love for everyone. That's what it is. It is, but it's not an emotion. It's the will. It's an action of love. I'll give you an example to make this better for you. 
I used to have a friend that some of you know, his name was Mark, and Mark used to be a minister um, at a church. He's a redhead. He had an Irish temper too, good Irishman. But whenever we were on staff together, and he was my executive pastor and, and good friend, and when we were on staff together, we would go as a staff to places, and we learned that when we went, we didn't want Mark to drive because Mark drove one mile an hour under the speed limit. It did not matter where you were going. If the speed limit was 55, we drove 54. If it was 85, we drove 54. And uh, um, so after about two times of Mark driving us to the local barbecue watering hole here in town, I said, Mark, you don't need to drive anymore. And uh, I drove. And uh, I didn't drive. Uh, I, if the speed limit was 45, we drove 84. And, um, uh, but let me just tell you something about the speed limit. There are people that break the speed limit, and there's people that don't break the speed limit, but the speed limit is a gift of love to society. It's a gift of love because it is a restraint. And not everyone's going to follow it, but most do follow it. The penalty's pretty high if you don't, but it's because there's a speed limit. It is a prevenient grace. Everyone benefits from the speed limit, and it's why we don't have more fatalities than we do have. And if we'd observed the speed limit, we would have much less. And I've noticed the older I get, the less lead that is in my foot, and uh, which is amazing because I'm saving gas. All right, so let me give you a perfect illustration of agape. In God's love, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, go over there. We were looking in First Corinthians. Go over to Second Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of one, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Okay? The God of love and peace will be with you. So he tells you how to be at peace, become complete, be of good comfort, comfort each other, be of one mind, live in peace, that the God of love and peace will be with you. All right, so it begins with God's love. His love is completely an undeserved love. That's Romans 5, verse 8. It's an undeserved love. His love is an inseparable love. That's Romans 8, 35 through 39. Uh, what shall we say then? You know, neither death nor height, neither depth nor height, nor you know, width or breadth or anything can separate us from the love of God. Indeed, His love is the great love willing to save sinners. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. For a matter of time, I'm just giving you these verses. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. It finds its complete fulfillment, though. Here's the key. It finds its complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So you can look at the passage that says, God loves the world. But the fulfillment of that love is in Christ Jesus. And that's where the difference lies. It's not for a select few. God's love is God's love, but it's actualized in those in Christ Jesus. Where is that found? Romans 8.39. Romans 8.39. Jesus has fully demonstrated such love in John 15.13. John 15.13. And therefore we come to know what love really is when we look at Jesus Christ. And I want to read that one. That's 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. I've noticed in my New Testament, like some of you, that usually in any of the New Testament 
books, verse 316 usually is something worth remembering. It just, I don't know why, but it just is. Um, you know, I don't think there's ever a passage, John, a passage 316 that says, put to death your members. I, I mean, it's always something really good. And so 1 John 3.16, listen to what it says. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay? And the sistren, for that matter. Okay? So, the reality of it is, is we have just looked at the definition of love. We've seen that there's four words for it. We've looked, taken a closer look at it. We've, we have seen the perfect illustration of it. And now number two love in the life of the Christian. Love in the life of the Christian. Um, letter A, the place of love. It's to be in an atmosphere in which the Christian walks. This is Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says right here, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given Himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Okay? It is to be the tie that binds, as that's mentioned in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, or the garment the Christian is to put on. Put on, therefore, love. Okay? This mindset, this will of love. It is to be uh, the universal motive uh, for which all we do. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 14. It's the motive behind what we do. So not only is it an act of the will, it is motivated, our will is motivated by love. It is to prevent our Christian liberty from turning into destructive selfishness. Now we've been in Galatians chapter 5 for many weeks. Go to verse 13 and it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, and through love serve one another. But through love serve one another. And so you say, all right, how do I, I have liberty. I can do anything I want to do. I have liberty. The Bible tells me I have liberty. Um, this is an area I have seen um, many people that are not under a biblical preacher I've seen many, many people shipwreck their faith in, the, in these words of liberty. And then what does Paul do? He gives you the two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to determine what is your liberty, what are you free to do? And as Americans, people, those, I know there are people that are watching this in other countries. For us in America, we take our liberty very seriously. We are uh, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And uh, our liberty is our American bond. We are a free people in this country. And, um, and, and by the grace of God we were born here or got here as quick as we could. But the reality of it is, is I have liberty in this country because our laws say I have liberty. I have a constitution that gives me a bill of rights and, and things that I can live by. And I have broad, a broad scope of liberty, as my American brothers and sisters do as well. But as a Christian, it's much more narrow. And so I can use my liberty either for the works of the flesh or for the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why Paul there in verse 13 moves then down to verses 16 through 26 and where he's talking about, all right, here's how you use your liberty. Does it line up with the works of the flesh 
or does it line up with the works with the fruit of the Spirit? And if it does not line up with the fruit of the Spirit, then it is not something you're at liberty to do. Okay? Very simple. The Bible is a very practical book. A very practical, very practical book. You say, I don't understand it. Well, guess what? It understands you. And just keep reading it. Uh, letter B, the demonstration of love. Uh, demonstrating our love towards God. There are improper demonstrations of this. Some think we prove our love by shouting from the rooftop that we love God. Others by putting it on our bumper stickers like that says, God is my co-pilot. Uh, I want you to know, having been an aviator, uh, one who still claims to be an aviator, uh, God was never my co-pilot. He is the pilot in command. And uh, if anybody's his co-pilot, it's Jesus, it's not me. I'm not even his flight engineer or baggage boy. Uh, gate agent, ticket agent, you name it. I don't even get to be on the plane. But the reality is God is not my co-pilot. He is the pilot in command. He's the captain. He's el jefe. He's the boss. Well, some think that by putting it on their bumper sticker, God's my, po my pilot, co-pilot, that makes them crazy. But I go put it in some stupid, pithy statement on the church Bo bulletin board outside makes us great. That doesn't either. I mean, there's some of them are good, but most of them are not. And, uh, and they lack biblical proof. The others think that whatever they do in the name of the Lord will be pleasing to Him. If I went out and decided to buy a new Ferrari in the name of, of uh, the Lord, I guarantee you in the name of my wife, um, there's going to be a problem. And you know what? Because she decides she loves me, she's going to say, you're a cute kid. But you're taking it back. <laughs> or you can live with the dog. Okay? Consider Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 7. And, and you all know, those that know me know I would never buy a Ferrari. If I was going to buy a Ferrari, I would just go out and buy a Corvette mid-engine. Those Chevrolets are just hot. Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at it. Join me there. We're going to slide into home, but we're crossing second base. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, If not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Holy moly, you mean there's going to be all these people that have gone around in the name of Jesus and they're going to go to hell? Yep. That's right. They're believing the lie. And one thing is about it, they don't believe the Bible because it's Jesus right there that said that. And I want you to know something. Jesus means what He says, and He says what He means. And so uh, the, that passage of Scripture right there is the p only passage in the Bible that makes me shake in my shoes. That one is a big one. Keeping His commandments is the proper demonstration of God's love. Obedience. Obedience. Uh, loving the brethren. That's Listen, it is inconsistent to believe that you are a faithful Christian walking in completion and not being part of a local church. Because probably the reason you're not part of a local church is because you don't love the brethren. And I might just be a little bit so bold to say, and it's because the brethren aren't your brethren. You just think you're your brethren. And they're not. You have no part of the kingdom. And so I'm going to tell you something. If you don't want to, if you're just upset with church people, you have a problem. Because I'm going to tell you something. The church people are going to keep worshiping. They're going to keep drawing closer to God. 
And as a good friend of mine said, so you're going to stop drawing closer to God because you don't like the people who are. Well, I'm going to tell you what, that's not their problem. That's yours. And you don't answer for them. You've got to answer for you. And I understand people that have to walk and work, walk, yeah. I understand people that have to walk to work. But I understand people that have to work. And they have to, they have to take care of themselves. And that is okay. And I'm not speaking to that matter. But if you objectively objectify the church people, subjectively objectify the church people and say, I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites or this kind of stuff, you have a problem. And it's not them. It's you. Because remember, love doesn't parade itself. It doesn't boast. It doesn't seek evil. It doesn't see evil. What does it see? It sees the good. I mean, even I can say something good about the devil. He works hard. He works very hard. Right? Yeah, he does. I wish he'd take a vacation. You know, he needs one. But uh, demonstrating our love towards man, show, and I'm just going to finish real quickly because I have so much more to share, but I, I need to stop. Demonstrating our love towards man. You know, we demonstrate our love towards God. There's an improper demonstration. There's a proper demonstration. But let's talk about briefly demonstrating our love towards man. That is showing love towards those who are our brethren in Christ. We need to show that. Love for one another is a fundamental doctrine of Jesus Christ. Loving one another is a fundamental doctrine of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. This means so much to me because this word agape means it's an act of my will and my volition. It doesn't have to be an act of my feelings. If I was driven by my feelings, I would never come out of my bedroom. But, I, I mean, I would, and I could live under a rock. And, uh, um, I mean, I just could. But to love, agape love, is an issue of the will. And so here, how we treat one another is, I'm going to treat my brethren with love because it's an act of my will. God demands no less. And, and as one friend used to say, he said, fake it until you make it. And then somebody corrected me and said, a better way to say it is faith it until you make it. And I really like that one. Faith it till you make it. And so love them until you feel it. Just keep loving. You just make it an act of your, I'm going to love them anyway. You know, they're, they're just going to love them. All right? Because you know what? It's what God chose with us. He chose that with us. We best demonstrate our love towards our brethren by helping them when they're in physical need, helping them when they are in spiritual need, loving God and keeping His commandments. That, you know what? That's how you can love your brother is by loving God and keeping His commandments. That's a great way to love your brother, is that you obey the Lord and, and keep His commandments. Say, so, well, that doesn't have anything to do with them. That has to do with God. It has everything to do with them. Because everything you have to do with God has to do with how your light shines before mankind. Okay? And showing love towards those who are not Christians. You need to love. Let, there needs to be love for others. It needs to go beyond loving those who love us. We have to. We're in the midst of one of the most partisan times we've ever had in our country. In four years, when we come to this place again, I'll say that again, and y'all will look back on this sermon four years ago and say, he didn't even know what was coming. But unless we get this mindset of love, we will never improve. We will never improve. We demonstrate that we are truly the children of God and led, beyond, led by the Spirit when, when, when our love, we do good to them that hate us. As the Scripture says, we bless those who curse us. 
We pray for those who spitefully misuse us. We resist them when they do evil to us. We do unto them as they would, have, as they would not have done unto us. And we treat them as the Father in heaven has treated us. That's genuine love. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to learn that one who produces the fruit of the Spirit demonstrates the virtue of love in his life, in her life. The Father demonstrated love in offering His Son as a sacrifice for sin. The Son personified the love in a way that He lived and He died for us and He loved the enemies and He loved His believers. The Spirit of God revealed that love is through the Word and, he shall, not be, and shall not the one born of God and walking by the Spirit manifest love in both His attitude and His actions. That's what we learn through the reading of Scriptures. And if we already excel in this matter of love, there is always room for growth. Even moms can grow in their ability to love. There's always room for growth. And if you need a Bible verse for that, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-10. through 10. And there's always the need for prayer. All of us concerning this, as I conclude the message, all of us need to grow in love, and all of us need to be in prayer about it. And listen to these last words. And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. That's Paul's benediction to the church at Thessalonica that was going through terrible persecution. They were coming and taking the children out of the homes and taking them off. They were, people were dying. Thessalonica was under great duress. And Paul is saying to them, abound in love for one another and to all. And he says, grow in it and pray for it. We have spoken of God's wonderful love for us in these moments we've been together. Let me ask you this question as we finish. Have you, have you ever responded to the love of God? Have you ever responded to the love of God? That is a transformative truth. If you would like to talk more about it, you can text me. Email me at james at yourjourneyonline.com. james at yourjourneyonline.com or call and leave a message. 580, I'm sorry, 940-301-5012. And I will be happy to visit with you about how you can respond to the love of God. God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And we'll see you soon.